Has everybody seen Star Wars before? Yeah. All right. If you haven't, I forgive you, and God does too. <laughs> um, that clip is, is, is basically about what my sermon is about, which is surrender. It's, uh, it's the concept that permeates our entire, our entire faith. It's what we're here for. It's what, it's, it's what brings us here. It's, it's what, we're, what we're all about. Um, it's something that I am not a big fan of. I have not been for a very long time, and I've spent my entire existence running away from or fighting against this concept. All right? When you think of surrender, you think of some wounded soldier with a, a beaten-up, dirty, white handkerchief, handkerchief at the end of a bayonet and just sitting there and giving up. But through the process of my life, and I'm going to share my testimony today, is that I've learned that what we're giving up is something that we're not going to need anymore, and what we get is an exchange for something else. In the scene, Obi-Wan says, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. So his human life is gone, and what he gains is a spiritual power that is just beyond his comprehension. Um, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for bringing me here. I thank you for keeping me alive to get to this point. I thank you for all the people that are here to listen to your word, and I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are yours and not my own. I want no glory in this, and I want all the glory to go to you. I pray that everyone here will have a heart to focus on what they get out of this for themselves. This isn't for anyone's brother or sister or husband or wife. It's, it's for the individual. And I pray that that would be the spirit that I give. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I'm nervous, all right? I'm very nervous up here. That doesn't, it doesn't usually happen with me. I usually just kind of go for it, but... Um, I'm a perfectionist. I, I want things to go my way all the time. I want them to go exactly the way that I want them to go. And if they don't, I get mad about it. So I'll do one of two things. I'll, I'll compensate for it or I just won't kind of say anything. You know, it's procrastination, right? It's kind of the fear of failure. <clears throat> anyway, Webster's definition for surrender the action of yielding one's person or giving up the possession of something, especially into the power of another. So that's the thing that I'm afraid of, and that's the thing that I don't like, is, is acknowledging that I'm powerless in some way. And I'm sure that we can all relate to this. It's really a silly idea to, to think that we really do have any power of our own anyway. The fact that you guys are all sitting here means that someone loved you enough to care for you for all your basic needs to get you to the point where you can be here. You wouldn't have been able to feed yourself. You wouldn't have been able to clothe yourself. All the clothing that you're wearing is most likely made by somebody else. The phones that you used is built on technology that has come thousands of years down to the pipe, down the pipe to this point. 
we're essentially helpless without other people. And that's just the concept if you just believe that there is no God at all. If we just believe that we're just this you know, cosmic accident that we kind of evolved to this point, we still have to ascribe to the fact that we can't do anything on our own. That enough should be, you know, good enough for us to be able to kind of give up. No, be like, no, no, it's fine, you know, I, I get that and whatever, but, you know, I'm different somehow. I'm, I'm able to kind of take the information and, and do it in my own way and, and all this other stuff. And that that's a fallacy. It leads us to the point where we start collecting things about ourselves that we, we think are so great. You know, we'll, we'll do it in our job. We'll do it with, you know, how many friends we have, with how much money we have, and all this other stuff. And at the end, we're left with the realization that it was empty. So what we surrender is we surrender our pride. We surrender this idea that we can do it on our own, and what we gain is, is, is the actual truth. So I was t- talking about my testimony and, was, and about sharing my testimony, and, and I'm, I've always kind of compensated for that, that fear with you know, being clever and being witty or smart or aggressive or, or whatever it was at that period of time. And it all started probably when I was about eight. Um, I'm attention deficit, all right? Now, I'm not, I don't mean that in like the, I like to play video games a lot and I, I forget things sometimes and stuff like that. Attention deficit disorder, hyperactivity disorder, is a neurological disorder that's hereditary. It's something that's passed down. It's like saying that, you know, um, you, know you, you have any other type of physical illness or whatever. Now, that's just a condition. That's just basically how your brain works and how you compensate for that and how you deal with that is another issue. Um, there's plenty of, you know, very famous people that... Um, you know, share that same thing. Einstein was believed to have attention deficit disorder. It's what you do with that weakness that that makes you who you are. So about two summers ago, I felt as though that God put it on my heart to preach a sermon on strength and weakness. And I was like, okay. Right. And I, I, I'm, I never really, you know, got the whole, like, you know, God speaking to me thing and whatnot. And it's like, how do you know? That's not just your own voice. And, you know, a lot of questions and skepticism and stuff like that. But it was very strong. It was almost, it was almost audible. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to listen. And, and the result of that was me going through my Bible and I kind of ripped through Job and I like printed, you know, like put all kinds of sticky notes in there. And I, I uh, highlighted a whole bunch of stuff. And this, this, these pieces of paper that I have here is sort of my boiled down version of everything that I've done because my thing is I'm tangential. I'll, just, I'll talk your ear off. I'll go off in all these different directions. And what I really want to do is have this message be very focused. <clears throat> so I had to get out of my head. Anyway, back to what I was, again, tangential. Going back to what I was talking about. <laughs> Case in point. So anyway, at eight years old, I, I lost my best friend, all right? Two houses down from me. I played, the night, the day before, I played with him for four or five hours. Um, his house burned to the ground, all right? His mom and, and him both died in that fire. After that, shortly after that, about six months after that, I, you know, was a friend down the street I developed a good friendship with. You know, he turned out not to be the greatest friend in the world. I kind of lost him. 
Um, I never really cried during that whole thing. I sort of just sucked it up, and like uh, my dad lost his his brother when he was a kid, or not when he was a little bit older, but he lost his brother. And I asked him one day. I said, "When when does the pain go away? Like how, how, when does this stop?" And he says, "You know, it takes a long a long period of time." So the way I compensated for that was by stuffing it down. Now I talked about my attention deficit, and and that makes things really exciting. It's like you really seek stimulation. That's why a lot of kids get sucked into the video game thing and stuff like that, because it just does it for you. It speeds, speeds your brain up. Your brain is looking for that attention. And what I would do is I would get in trouble. I was, I was that guy. Oh, Joel will do it. Joel will do it. No, you know, you know it, it's no big deal for him. And it wasn't. I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the attention that I got for it. What I didn't realize is that the joke was on me. People weren't laughing with me. They were laughing at me. I was, in, I was a muse. I was a, I was a jester. I was, you know, whatever you want to call it. I was people's entertainment. I gained a false sense of, of power in that. All right? I, end, I ended up turning from, you know, elementary school was just joking, you know, uh, talking out in class, things like that. But, uh, you know, it eventually started getting into, I was getting into fights. You know, then I started, you know, drinking, and that's, then I started, you know, smoking weed, and I started doing all this other stuff, and I was always the one who did it the most. I was always the one who started it. You know, we went cliff jumping. It wasn't enough to do the 30-foot, the 40-foot. I had to do the running man, all right? 75-foot cliff, you got to clear, like, you know, a good 15, 20 feet so you, you don't shatter yourself on the way down. <clears throat> this continued on all the way through, you know, through high school, I mean, I was suspended a couple times. I was arrested a couple times. Um, then I got into college, and you know, it, it continued to spiral after that. I ended up getting uh, arrested for you know breach of peace, for you know, you name it. So continuing on, I ended up uh, the last time. Anyone remember the 2004 uh, NCAA uh, men's basketball and women's basketball championships? Anyone? Okay. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> um, does anyone remember seeing the news shortly after that? I know my parents do. <laughs> there were some fires that happened after that. I was heavily involved in that. Heavily involved by meaning that I was the one who started them. Me and one other kid. So this made national news, all right? We took a pink couch, and we said, if we win, we're going to light it. If we lose, we're going to light it. <laughs> and we did. So I walked around with that night with a backpack full of beer, uh, a fifth of vodka in one hand, and a bunch of Red Bulls in the other, and... We ended up doing that. I ended up getting arrested. I ended up getting kicked out of school for a year. And then that summer, I ended up working in an ice cream warehouse. Uh, my parents said, okay, you want to do this stuff on your own? We're, 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 you're on your own, pretty much. So I was living in an apartment because I got kicked out of the dorms when I was a freshman. And uh, I had to get a job because I had to pay for my rent. So I got this job at uh, an ice cream warehouse, which was the only job available, and it was available for a reason. 20 degrees below zero, third shift. So I went in at 9 o'clock at night, and I got out around 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, 
20 degrees below zero. I remember sitting in front of the therm the thermometer. It's like a it's basically like a Home Depot on ice, pretty much. It's huge. Um, it's up in Tolland. It's called Dairy Farms. Um, you look you look at the thermometer. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, life has come to this, huh? I almost got frostbite. I got I did get a little bit of frostbite in my nose. I had to cover my face with a cloth, and I at, between breaks we had a break by law. Every hour and a half we had to have a break because it's a safety hazard. So we get out, and then I take my my uh, face mask off, which is a shirt, and you breathe through it, and the uh, the breath condenses and it freezes to your shirt, so it gets all wet. So you take the shirt and you got to put it in the microwave to heat, to, you know. Uh, to get all the moisture off it so that when you go back in, it doesn't refreeze and all this other stuff. I mean, it was a horrible, miserably bitter job. Um, I was, me and everyone else there was on uh, probation or parole. Um, There was a guy who was uh, smoking crack on our lunch break, which was at 1.30 in the morning in the, you know, in the, uh, in the parking lot. Uh, He threatened to stab me with a box cutter one night when we got into a little bit of an argument. So as you can imagine, life wasn't really that great for me at that point. So what ended up happening is I stopped doing that job, and I got into another one. I started working at a a restaurant up there called Margarita's. So now I'm doing all right as far as my standards are are going. You know, I got a job. It's, It's much better than before. I cooked before, and I love cooking. It's something I enjoy doing. So I liked doing that, and uh, I had money. So now I'm going to UConn, which is a drinking school with a basketball problem, and I'm (laughs) (laughs) so now I'm living at school, and I have access to money. I live in an off-campus apartment, and I don't have to go to class. That's a that's a recipe for disaster. So I don't remember that year. Not really sure what went went on. So, what ended up bringing me to the point where I'm coming to the point where I, I'm here before you today is that the weakness part. I started to realize at the, very quickly what that weakness meant, and weakness went, meant pain. We can't get it without pain. I firmly believe that. It's either inspiration or pain. Inspiration, you feel it for a little while. You're like, oh, yeah, that's really it. And then you forget about it the next couple of days. Pain is something that you remember. It's something that sticks with you. So the painful experience for me that really knocked me off my horse was I went skiing. And I, I've been an aggressive skier like like my whole life. Well, I've been an aggressive everything my whole life. But skiing just happened to, to fit into that category as well. And um, I went skiing with a friend of mine, and we were just skiing. And it wasn't really a big deal. I wasn't trying to do tricks and stuff like that because he wasn't into tricks. He was just kind of there with me. But there was a jump, and it was just it was just exactly what I would want it to be. And when I was younger, I used to try. I used to do flips, and I used to do all this other stuff. And when I, I was, actually when I was 17, the first time I tried a, a double backflip, my my brother was there. He was praying for me, which is good. Um, I I only ended up hurting like my my thumb. And, you know, my pinky, which is, like, permanently deformed. But I, I got through it. And I said, okay, I lived through it. I tried it. I'm never again. But this, this time, I'm like, what if I do it, though? Everyone will be like, oh, you did a double backflip. I can't believe you did that and all this other stuff. And I, I was looking for the accolades. I was looking for the, for the, for the 
for the pride, basically, for, for the pat on the back. So I tried it again four times. Fell on my face every single time. One, three-quarters, splat. The fourth time, I snapped my leg in half. I have a titanium rod in my leg that runs from about my hip to about my knee. I went back to school after that. I all hopped up on Vicodin, and I got into my my bed, which is a futon, and uh, I decided that, oh, I'm not going home, I'm not going home, because I felt felt like I was disowned. I felt like I, I couldn't go home, the, you know, the proverbial prodigal son, and I said, I'm going to stick it out here. But I eventually realized that I was, become, I was a burden on my roommates, and I decided that I, I needed to go home. So I did. And that brokenness, in that moment of bringing me home, I, I really realized how far I had, I had gotten away from the things that I believed when I was, when I was a kid. You know, I, was, I was raised in a household that was you know, founda- found, uh, founded in belief, and I had that belief, and I had somehow lost it along the way, and I, you know, started to find it. Now, here, here's where I, I believe that I was in the most danger, actually, because once you get that experience, it's like, oh, yeah, everything's going to be great from here on in. You know, you just find that one little experience, and now everything's going to be okay. But when I, what I came to realize is that you have to surrender constantly. It's not a one-time thing where you just get it and then everything just kind of coasts through. There's constantly little surrenders. Because after that, then I had to go back to school. Then I had to do the rehab for my leg. Then I had to go back to work. Then I had to do all the things that I had sort of been running away from for the longest period of time. I had to, to, to give in to the pain and, and to the purification that was going to end up being what I knew life would be. So yeah, you know, we like this concept. Okay, you get it, the, the weakness, and, and then we you grow into the, what, what does this have to do with our faith? And how does this, how does this play into, um, you know, us being Christians? It's everything. I don't know if I would have respect for God if it wasn't for the cross. I need to know that there's a God out there that knows how I feel who knows what I've been through, who understands it. If, if there wasn't a Jesus, if there wasn't, if there wasn't someone who went through that experience, I, I wouldn't be able to follow that person. That's just my, how I've come into it. But we have that. He was tempted in every way. He was, he was beaten. He was bruised and, and put through excruciating pain in ways that none of us will probably ever experience, thank God. The word excruciating actually is derived from the word from the cross. Hebrews seven twenty three to 28. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. He knows what we're going through. He wasn't just here to to give us eternal life. He didn't just come here to do a job. He came here to show us how to live. He was a living example of what we should be. I just got married this summer, and it's been a very challenging thing for me because I had to learn how not to live selfishly. I had to learn how to put someone else's needs before my own, which is something that was a complete and utter, it was mind-blowing. I'd never done that before. I was always just like, screw you guys, I'll be all right, you know? I mean, I, I walked, when I was at UConn, I mean, I would just walk around with a backpack, and if I had to walk home, I had to walk home, you know, it was no big deal. <clears throat> Pain isn't really something that really bothered me that much, but now I had to look out for the pain of someone else, and, and that's, that's been very difficult for me, but it's made the whole difference in my life. I'm much more caring for other people. I'm much more sensitive. I'm much more, I'm less angry. I'm, I'm a, lot of, a lot of things better for it. And that's sort of the relationship that we have with God. God is with us all the time, and he's trying to show us how we can live for other people besides ourselves. Jesus was asked, what are the, two, what are the greatest commandments? What is the greatest commandment? And he said, love your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. I like Jesus because he's, he's simple. He simplifies everything. It's not a lot of rules and everything like that. Sums it up. One sentence. The rest of the Bible doesn't really even need to be written. It's just there. That's it, right there. I found that when I watched other people preach, I was saying to myself, oh, man, I'm going to say that in my sermon. They're, they're taking it away from me. Like, that, that was my thing. I was going to do that. This is, this is the thread that's sewn through, through our whole existence. It's what it's all about. Giving up, letting go, let God, right? But we've all been hurt at some point in time. We've been let down by our parents, by our church by our friends, by someone. And we swore, never again am I ever going to feel that way. So you either didn't go do anything, so you didn't risk getting hurt again, or you went around saying, I'm never going to get hurt again, and you end up hurting a whole bunch of other people, and the cycle continues. I did a little bit of both. I hurt myself instead of hurting other people by self-medicating myself with drugs and alcohol and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I also sent out, set out to hurt other people, and I justified it by hurting other people that I knew deserved it, sort of this Robin Hood complex, right? Hating evil people. It's really easy to like someone who is nice and who treats you well, right? And it's not very easy to, to like someone and to appreciate someone who is nasty to someone. They deserve it. 
That person started out as a baby, just like you and me. When Hitler was a little old boy, he had dreams. He had aspirations, and I guarantee you that they were innocent at that age. What if Hitler got into art school? What happens if he got into art school? Our entire existence would look different. Millions of people might not have died. Some of us right here would not be here right now because of the, the changes in history that would have been made. If people were to let go of fear and doubt, our entire world would be a completely, completely different place. So surrender really isn't necessarily about giving up something. It's about getting up. I think that a lot of people in the church and elsewhere are staying in that position where we're down and we're beaten and we're defeated and we want to stay there. Well, it's time to change. We're running, we're running out of time. Every second is a moment that is wasted. We only live a certain period of time. Average lifespan of a female in this country is like 76. Average lifespan of a male is about 72 or 3 or something like that. And that's just your life. We're not just talking the, the span that you have where like your, your potential could be reached and things like that. That's something else I'm struggling with. I'm 28 now. I'm going to be 30 in a couple of years. I can't do some of the things that I used to be able to do. I got you know, some aches and pains that are coming in. All the things that my dad told me was coming and I never really believed them are, are starting. And I, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but in order to age gracefully, I, I've decided that I just need to accept the things that they are. If I, if I have these high lofty expectations for myself and I don't meet them, that's when I end up being disappointed. Um, love. Love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. That's a quote from M. Scott Peck. In other words, love is an action. It's a verb. It's not a feeling. Those little butterflies that you get when you see some cute guy or cute girl or hopefully your wife or husband. <laughs> or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. <clears throat> Those things are an attraction. It's a physical response. It's chemical. Right? That's not love. It's something that precipitates love often, but that's something that comes and goes. And people are often confused and they think that they've fallen out of love when that feeling goes away. And that's natural. Anyone watch a really, really good movie and then watch it a second time and it wasn't quite as good as it was the first time? It's natural. We get used to it. It's called habituation. It's the same concept that I use when I, when I'm, I forgot to tell you that I'm a therapist. It's kind of, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And uh, we use this to desensitize people to different fears that they might have. So that same experience works through us because it's a concept that we have in us. So when people feel as though that they've fallen out of love, they stop doing the work or the sacrifice 
that they did in the beginning because they don't find it worth it anymore. And that's when the relationship dies. And this doesn't have to be just romantic relationships. This is friendship relationships. This is every type of relationship. When you stop doing the work, that's when it, that's when it dies. Do we have to be smart? Do we have to be great? Do we have to be intelligent to live the spiritual life that, that God wants us to live? I'd say absolutely not. Jesus didn't spend his time with intellectuals. He didn't spend his time with, with, with Pharisees and, and called them a, a brood of vipers. Jesus had a lot of nasty things to say about the Pharisees. He hung out with people who were poor. He hung out with beggars. He hung out with sinners, prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with all the undesirables of his nation. And those are the people who found the spiritual maturity. He talked about children and children having, <clears throat> having the heart of a child. And those are the people who enter the kingdom of God. It really doesn't take much. It takes your commitment. When I was talking to Dennis about doing this, I, I had come to the point where I was starting to get ready to, to do something. I'm like, okay, I've had this experience. I, I, I've, I've been purified in, into the point that, that I'm, I'm ready to start doing something. Well, what do I do? And he goes, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I always thought about writing a book. I've thought about doing this. I thought about preaching a sermon. He goes, oh, well, I got a spot in like two months from now. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I never really filled it. I don't know. Oh, never really filled it. I don't know why. You want it? And I was like, oh. I was like, that's a little soon. <laughs> I don't know if I was ready for this right now. Then I realized that there's no time like the present. Why not now? Why not right now? The things that I've surrendered myself to, the things that I've actually given up something for, are the things that have determined the direction of my life. And if I had made those decisions earlier, I might be in a better place. I might be, you know, you know, doing something that could glorify God's kingdom in a better way. So me just being up here is, is, is part of that experience, putting myself in a position where I'm not only responsible to give the anointed word of God to a congregation, but I'm expected to live it. By saying this stuff in front of you, I have put myself into a position where I, am, I have to do it. I'm a firm believer of practicing what I preach, and I know that when I say something out loud that I now have to do it. So I'm sort of forcing myself to do the things that I'm telling you guys to do as well. The thing that really kicked it over for me was this book. And you guys heard of Francis Chan? This book called Crazy Love. I was just stretching at my apartment, and uh, I happened to be sitting on the ground. We have a bookshelf in, in my apartment, but top two shelves are mine and the bottom two shelves are Amy. So I happened to be at eye level with this book that Amy had in her, on her section. And it just kind of stuck out at me. And I pulled it out and I go, oh, that looks kind of cool. I read the first page and I was done with it in four days. It's all about lukewarm Christianity. It's nothing you haven't heard. 
it's nothing that, I mean, it's, it's pretty much all the, the parables that you would hear in like a regular sermon, but it's just relentless. Just keeps hitting you and hitting you and hitting you and hitting you to the point where you can't say, oh, all right, I'll do it later. It's now. The next clip that I'm going to show for the, for the end of this sermon is, is a music video. And I said before that surrender isn't always about giving up. It's about getting up. Well, that's what this video is about. I'm to take a step where you voluntarily put yourself into an uncomfortable position. That's not encouraging masochism here. I'm encouraging you to put yourself into a position of potential growth. All right? You want a sports team. By accepting to be on you know, a high school or collegiate sports team, you're accepting the fact that you are going to run a lot. And that's going to hurt. But you're going to get in the best physical shape of your life. By going to college, you're going to read a lot. But you're going to gain a lot of knowledge and a lot of intelligence as a result of it. Um, one of the things that I really... I really like that I've started to do is uh, journal. This is my personal journal right here. I started to do this 12-15-2010. Um, and what it's, done, what it's done for me is, is I've been able to actually look at myself and see how I think and how I feel. I notice the, there's gaps in this on when I write and when I don't write, and that's because I think people that really like to write good things and when you have gaps, you know that there wasn't really a huge amount to be proud of at that moment. But I've started to write the things that I don't do well as well. I'm going to read to you. Um, I, actually, I, was, I just was perusing through this when, before I uh, got up here. And I found something that I wrote that I, I would like to read because I think it's in the same vein as what I've been talking about. This is from uh, March 14th of this year. Today I'm coming to realize and accept the power I received from God. It has been nearly impossible for me to hold on to that power up to this point. My fear has led me to abuse any power I receive and thus squander it selfishly towards my own vain attempts at negative symptom removal. I've tried to overcome feelings of inadequacy by being smart, witty, clever, strong, angry, tough, etc., However, even though I believe I can be all of these things in a positive way, my focus is skewed and my peers are not amused, to say the least. I have made myself unapproachable. Only a few are able to pierce my armor and find my true self. In the last few years, I have begun finding myself by learning to appreciate my true God-given talents and innate qualities. My acceptance of myself has given me a new confidence which does not thirst for the approval of others. As a result, I have been given true freedom of choice. This power of choice gives me a new realm of power that I never knew I had before. Power is useless at best and destructive at worst without wisdom. The only wisdom worth speaking about is the wisdom of our Creator. Since I have returned to my faith, I have begun to inherit the wisdom I speak of. Additionally, I have become more patient, 
slower to anger, less selfish, more giving, happier, less anxious, less angry, and less driven. Not less driven in the sense of pursuit of accomplishment. In fact, I believe I have become even more motivated to pursue my life's goals, but I am not pushed from behind by my own insecurities. I find my motivation from the Holy Spirit, which beckons me towards the light of Christ. What I shall leave in my wake are signs towards the same destination. Hopefully people will see my peace and wonder what my source is. I shall show them through the poetry of my life and my song, and that I have been ransomed, and the Holy Spirit they see is not my own. I pray that those who come in contact with me from this day forward will be abundantly blessed with the Spirit of God. May they too shed their fear and doubt for a cloak of peace and harmony. May they too move out of the darkness into the light. I pray that I continue down this path and remain undeterred towards my pursuit to be like Christ. Let the old self continue to fall away as my new self continues to flourish. The last thing I'm going to read for you is a direct quote from uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. It's a phenomenal book that I highly recommend. Um, This is from page 56. And what was the sort of hole man had gotten himself into? He had tried to set up his own to behave as if he belonged to himself. In other words, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement, He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Lay down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you have been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of a hole. The process of surrender, this movement, full speed astern, is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means understanding all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves for thousands of years. It means killing a part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. In fact, it it needs a good man to repent. And here comes the catch. Only a bad person needs to repent. Only a good person can repent perfectly. The worse you are, the more you need it, and the less you can do it. The only person who could do it perfectly would be a perfect person, and he would not need it. The time is now. It's not in a year. It's not in a couple days. It's not when this or that happens. There's something in all of us that we hide from everyone else something that we struggle with. It's something that maybe no one else knows about. God wants that. He doesn't want all the other things. He doesn't want you to work up to it. He wants that one thing. The rest of the stuff will fall like a house of cards. 
I love you guys. Have a great day.